frequently getting alien STDs as we cruise through the Delta Quadrant. It's Vijay, please. Hatefully voyaging, my name is Joseph. And I'm your penicillin pal, Peter. Peter, what episode of Voyager did we watch this week? We watched season five, episode 16, The Disease. But before we get into it, I wanted to... Oh, hold on. You were incorrect. It's episode 17. You sure? Because, uh... Because Dark Frontier was 15 and 16. Netflix lies to you, sir. It is the 17th production. That's going to throw us way off for the rest of the season. <laughs> Just check Netflix. Or check uh, Memory Alpha, man. Gosh, I think we should make Netflix the true king in the in in, in the equation. We'll call it 17, but uh, I think we all know the truth is it's 16. Um, before we get in, though, I want to talk about some Star Trek... Some Star Trek world stuff going on right now. Um, did some did something happen today? I'm going to brace myself. <laughs> the uh, the lower decks came out. The first episode, which what, did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. What a fragmented, crazy world we live in. My, you know, we're a Roku house and I just lost access to HBO Go or now or whatever one it is because they're pushing hbo max and roku won't host it neither will amazon like they're fragmenting this stuff so bad they're really pushing people in the hands of piracy but you know there's no one place people go anymore you don't even have the cbs stuff on the air i think so this is probably another exclusive i don't know i'll watch it i'll give it a go uh per our previous agreement from last week if it's good i'll give you the thumbs up if it's bad, I'll give you two thumbs up and set you up the bomb because I'm a good friend like that. But yeah, you, just fantastic. Appreciate you. <laughs> we talked before about how Star Trek's more than Star Trek. You know, Star Wars can only be stuff a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But like Star Trek has been so inclusive to other properties, Orville, uh, Galaxy Quest other things floating out there and perhaps the most important and, and while not a strong spiritual successor to star trek per se what i would argue is really our generation's star trek and that is mass effect and on a whim i was like why isn't there a mass effect remaster and on a whim i went and i, I checked into it and i think we are going to see a mass effect trilogy remaster coming out in 2020 and it got me so fucking hyped what where where did you find this information just look man there's something out there that's an untitled ea hd product and all signs are pointing to it being a uh a trilogy re-release you think that they're just gonna drop that just they're gonna put that fucking shit out there just without ever telling anyone they were working on it sure you know, they'll build hype when they get a little closer and they've got a, a good um, release date set. So I don't think it's going to pop up out of the blue, but there's been nothing out of the franchise in a long time. And with Final Fantasy VII Remaster and just so much retread of old properties, you know, just a, a rape and pillage of any game they can. Like, I just bought Gears of War 1 Remastered Super HD, whatever, for like three bucks off uh, some sale just because I wanted that cover based shooter. And I'm like, where the fuck is Mass Effect? So I, I'm, I'm hey, listen, I would love it if they put put out a remaster of Mass Effect, particularly Mass Effect 1. Yeah, like Mass Effect 2 and 3 are actually very playable still. I was just actually I replayed Mass Effect 2 somewhat recently since COVID happened, at least. Mm hmm. And but Mass Effect one is just not playable. Right. I disagree 100 percent. What I think that Mass Effect one is way better. God, we're going to have to make this more breakout Patreon. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) we we broke off 25 minutes. We haven't we've been podcasting together for the 40 minutes. We haven't actually talked about Star Trek. My wife's yet pissed. It's already 10 o'clock. Um we, we, we can do a special on this, but I think that Mass Effect 1 is a different game than 2 and 3 because Mass Effect 1 is a true RPG where the other ones are action RPGs. But I still think that Mass Effect 1, again, for something that was like a 360 launch title, almost, 
is holds up super well. It's it's stiff, but it's not as bad as I think most people would remember it. The biggest culprit is that fucking elevator on the Normandy going down to the cargo bay um, and the god awful inventory management system with tons of clone junk. But the Mako and the like, I think they establish mood and setting better in one than they do in the other two. Um, I agree that it's very good for setting the universe up and there's a lot that is, you know, makes two and three great games. But I feel like one was like the problem with Mass Effect one is they made it too much like Dragon Age. And Dragon Age is like Baldur's Gates was a Baldur's Gate style game, you know, and I think focusing it into being an action RPG was actually much better for the entire franchise. I think like, that the games two, two and three benefited so much from a tighter gameplay focus that <sighs> made them fun to play. I know I'm like galaxy brain, like, you know, revelation over here. But when a game is fun to play, I want to play it more. You know, I think Mass Effect one did a good job in making the universe feel like a lonely place that was scary and dangerous. And that two and three really closed everything together into a more tighter knit, accessible, colorful, galactic community. And I think it was a growth that made sense that humanity was accepted into the Citadel and its place as a galactic citizen faster than anyone else because of the characteristics of the humans. But I did really enjoy the atmosphere and the immersiveness of being alone on these planets driving around the Mako looking for a prefab base to go loot and plunder. So I'll be very interested to see if they do remaster this, like how do you handle mass effect one? Because that's a very um, divisive game in terms of who enjoyed the play style, who liked the Mako, who liked the overwhelming inventory and who just wanted to, you know, flip the table over and get their chop on. But the disease. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, finally talk about this episode before. Our Anyways, I'm, I'm fucking hyped about the opportunity for a Mass Effect uh, remaster. Fucking, I got so many AAA titles I got to play, but God damn it, if I could get access to that, I would just put that right to my, for my playlist and, and be a very happy boy. I recently played through um, Ace Combat 7 and Deus Ex uh, Mankind Divided, which were like two games I meant to play and finally got to because of COVID. My next up that I'm going to play through is Ghost of Tsushima, though. Like mm. that game just Everybody seems baller. Game's dick. I, I, I want to play it. I'm super. I always like Kurosawa movies and <laughs> it's basically you get to play one. So anyway, the disease. This is a movie about Harry Kim getting an alien STD. I'm sorry, this is a show, but Harry Kim getting an alien STD. And the STD is wanting more of that that's that sweet, sweet alien booty. It's been a while since we've had a dud this caliber, so I'm actually looking forward to 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 going balls deep on this. We open with a really cool scene. It's your classic space balls, long phallic ship that just keeps going and going. <laughs> and it's neat because we all know how big a Star Destroyer is, and, and that's what this is. It's, it's the Star Destroyer shot. But seeing this long, modular cargo ship, it's like, this seems like it's long, but where's Voyager at for scale? You can't tell, so it's an unknown. And they do a cool camera zoom in where they, they pan, they give you a little detail work, and then they zoom in, and then they zoom in, and then they zoom in. And finally, they go in through one of the, the windows on the ship and into doorways. So now you've established scale, and this ship is fucking massive. Later on, we'll see a Voyager actually docked with it, and Voyager's like a fly on a lion compared to this thing. And as the door opens, in comes tumbling, Harry Kim tongue wrestling a very, very attractive 90s girl. This uh, 90s girl is played by an actress named Musetta Van Vander. It's Dutch because she's from South Africa. She plays the stereotypical 90s sci-fi eye candy in essentially every single property that you can think of. She's been on Babylon 5. She was on Xenia, Warrior Princess. She was on Stargate SG-1. Like, she, she did this. She... Uh, has that look of probably somehow foreign white person 
that was super in vogue in those properties back in the day. She's got the accent to match. I thought she was maybe like Eastern European, but turns out she's from South Africa. So does that make her into a character actor, essentially? <laughs> kind of. The character is mid to late 90s uh, elfin sci-fi girl, you know, uh, stereotype. Well, good. It's a, it's a character She actor. did it. She nailed it. She did a great job. <laughs> she did have a great job. And as uh, she goes tumbling into the bed with Harry and they start ripping each other's clothes off, Spoiler alert, I'm going to complain about the turtleneck in the fucking <laughs> Starfleet issue tank Star- top. Listen, Starfleet officer, pro- it, it, the protocol is when you bang, you do it with your turtleneck on. Oh, God. Right. What if that it's not pu- just a turtleneck? Is- what if that's actually like a bodysuit? And like if they take off all this, they're wearing it's a purple like underwear. It's the special. It's the special. You can't ever take it off. That is the prime directive right there. Um, as they go tumbling in. You are confronted with a truth, and that truth is, I think if we were to sit down and run a tally, Harry Kim has more romantic encounters and interests than Tom Paris does. And granted, Tom's been severely stunted for the past two seasons by Bellana Torres, but for what should have been the bad boy playboy of the Delta Quadrant, it's like, it's almost always... Harry Kim being in these romantic situations followed up by probably Chakotay. I think they've put Chakotay and Tuvok in the barrel the exact same amount of times, which is twice. Well, Chakotay had his never remember girlfriend, his bored girlfriend, uh, Seska. Who else had the hots for him? Maybe Janeway. Seska had the hots for him, but there wasn't an episode about them having a relationship. Their relationship occurred previously, so I don't count that. Eh. I, you could almost count Janeway. I think that's much closer. No, Seska is um, for sure. And, and even in the holodeck episode, you still then they're they're, they're, they're tied, I think, because there's been, I think, exactly four episodes about Harry Kim getting down, including an entire planet of women devoted to wanting to literally fuck the energy out of him. Fuck him to death. So, yeah, he's he's uh, they're ripping each other's shirts off and she, he glows. And after the teaser is when we get the setup of what's going on, which is that Voyager is trying to help this giant uh, generational ship. What's a generational ship, Joe? Uh, typically, it is referred used in reference of a, of a ship in which generations of people uh, grow up. Um, essentially, it's uh, the repository of a civilization over decades if not centuries this plot sucks <laughs> that is deep that was so deep oh my god we got share more of your insights peter this xenophobic race we don't really see the first contact all right when we come into the big plot here it's janeway covered in grease which is standout, right? You never yeah. see the actual Starfleet duty uniforms dirty until uh, what was the space Muppet adventure uh, that Frakes directed when Neelix dumps a plate of spaghetti on Tom. Tuition. Tom, that's the first time you ever see one of these uniforms get dirty. So to see the amount of grime and shit they have on Janeway, Paris, Torres, and, uh, and, uh, Kim is really jarring. Yeah, it, look, it looks like they're, they're, you know, in the middle of degreasing an engine or whatever. You know, they're working for a living right now. So they are in this engine room. It, it's got this real Battlestar Galactica, like old Ironsides vibe to it. The president of the ship is down there working and he's arguing with Janeway that she should not be down there. That wasn't the agreement. And, and so here's the whole picture. You never see first contact. It's a ship that goes out of its way to avoid everybody. They're xenophobic. They know the Delta Quadrant's dangerous as fuck. And whereas Voyager goes and sticks their dick in every bowl of mashed potatoes they come across, these guys say, nope, they keep their pants on, they fly straight and narrow, and they dodge all the consequences preemptively. And of course, Janeway wanting to get up in everybody's business is like, hey, we want to be friends. She forces himself on there. We find out they're having some engine problems. And Janeway has just the same Janeway who was just belly aching about, you know, all of the time they wasted dodging Borg cubes. Has now been doctor for what, two weeks, three weeks. 
I, I, I appreciate that they gave at least the rationale as to the reason we're doing this is we really want them to to give up some of their technology uh, in regards to environmental control, right? Unlike uh, – I don't think I hated this episode nearly as much as you do. I think its failures are entirely on the backs of Garrett Wang. I think – and a couple kind of missing pieces of dialogue perhaps – the idea that I'm going to help these people partially out of Starfleet uh, goodwill, goodwill, which is, you know, this is our thing, right? Like we're exploring the Delta Quadrant in the name of the Federation. When so we're I not saw mugging the Borg. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not committing highway robbery. We're helping people out. Uh, but also, well, these people are really good at surviving in space. And I and I could foresee my ship having to spend decades in space. So if I can get them to give up a little bit of their know how. Uh, that's certainly worth it to me. And hey, we also helped him out. You know, that's that's just good. That's good space karma. Janeway I, has a good line where she says, I can't help but wonder, looking at your ship that's hundreds of years old, if if Voyager is just beginning your journey. And she establishes that, you know, you could teach me things that could have a big impact. That's still flimsy for them sinking two weeks of time fixing their engine. Like at least throwing like, hey, also we need some deuterium and you guys seem like you're flush with it. Maybe you could like bust off a chunk for us. As it stands, they they don't frame the episode especially compelling. And then the main guy whose name is what, Jerock? Yes. You would only know this guy and it killed me until i finally had to look it up this was the bad guy from dumb and dumber which i'm going to argue should be the episode title for this episode because it's gonna get dumb and then dumber but this this was the bad guy in dumb and dumber who seemed to be the family friend of the redheaded lady who was really directing the skeevy mtv vjs to uh kidnap her husband and abuse the situation um and he is your typical by the books the traditions are laws and set in stone and we cannot deviate and we owe everything to the people who came before us. Hardliner who will eventually erode over the course of the episode to become warmer and warmer towards Voyager as Voyager proves itself through its altruistic obligations. So it's the actor who played was Charles Rocket, who's somewhat famous for being the, I think the first person to say the F word on You just television. said the F word on our podcast. <laughs> We we say fuck every other word, Joe. We're not Saturday Night Live. You can say it. Why do you have to be so fucking hurtful, Peter? <laughs> Why do you have to wound me like that? It's late. You have kept me up past my bedtime so that we can talk about a different podcast and then Mass Effect. We are barely through Act One of the show. Charles Rocket dropped dropped a, the 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 fuck bomb on Saturday Night Live in the 80s. And that was probably the thing he was most famous for. Well, I know him as the Dumb and Dumber guy, so. Um, but but that's what's going on. The, we get two real views of this crazy ship. We get the dirty-ass little cramped engine room, and then we get um, crewman super hotties. Uh, Love Shack. Love yeah. Shack, right. Um, one thing we left out, in the opening scene as she was tearing the clothing off of uh, Harry Kim. She starts to glow like a nightlight and he sees her glow and he goes, whoa. And then he leans back and then closes his eyes and he starts to glow. So something's up. We know that right off the jump. So the, the initial scenes with Janeway trying to get the, the, the Varro to like, be more cooperative happened. We get a little bit of the backstory. Um, we understand that they've been at this for hundreds of years. And I think they're trying to restart their warp engines by like basically giving them a, a jump. So you've got Voyager not only docked, but like jumper cables, like they are connected. Yeah. And that's going to become an issue later on. But yeah, like Voyager is really given at the old college try, both in terms of involving the entire crew in this project and physically committing Voyager's resources to doing it. I want you to take what's happening here. And that's a ship of people who want nothing to do with them that are trying to fix their engines. Voyager putting 
two weeks of effort into jumpstarting a fucking engine, and now I want you to compare that to the weakest shit of all time, <laughs> Gatrell, when there was a moon with millions of people obliterated by a weapon of mass destruction, and Janeway and her ship full of scientists, it was the captain and the fucking security chief who doesn't know how to lock a goddamn door fiddling around on the transporter for 15 seconds before giving up and condemning the rest of those people to that nuclear holocaust hell i would like to also point out that the near b plot of this episode was tuvox continued uh clown shoes level of security oh i've got uh, close notes on that don't worry. okay I, I i thought so i figured you probably paid strict attention to that but yeah they definitely put in way warmer effort here to help these uh folks uh stranded on their on their space bus uh than they did trying to resurrect all of neelix's family but you know whatever it was season I'm gonna be one. hot about troll for the next fucking six weeks. yeah because we've been I'm reminded on, of it recently yeah i'm back on the warpath get ready for this shit uh interesting tidbit gets dropped in the dialogue here the last time they talked about the voyage i want to say they had nailed it at three years and now suddenly we've jumped to five years because there was a seasonal mismatch. And I don't know. I'm going to have to go back and look at star dates. But did you pick up on it? Because they really drive home the fact that they've been doing this for five years now. Right. No, and it, it, they. I think that's tracked. That's tracked because I remember when they were dealing with a lot of Seven of Nine stuff. And they said, it's been a year since she's joined the ship and that was you know approximately the season before i'm gonna have so to go back and look because i, I want to they try to try they try to track the season to it actually being a year it's just sometimes the episodes are very compressed while other episodes like you know famously when when janeway and and chakotay have their not romance because of a monkey uh while they're stranded on a planet it's like six months worth of time that gets wasted of them going like back and forth Six months, that's a fourth of the time that Janeway added on to their travel home just by dodging those pesky old Borg cubes. Um, Harry Kim is doing some some real guilt tripping to himself. I, I, they just make it impossible to like the Harry Kim character sometime. Like, here he I is. Will, before we go too far into this, this... I did like when they panned back to them in the bedroom. It is like the most tasteful PG nudity where 90s hottie is just like has the sheet over her. It's such a, like a stereotypical move of like, we'll have this character wearing nothing, but we have to make it so children can see this. Yeah. And meanwhile, Harry's wearing a fucking tank top with matching color boxers. <laughs> hey, man, um, you got to match when you're a Starfleet officer. Got to match. Can't go wrong with that purple. Um you know, they just make it so hard to like the character like he's always bumbling around and Tom Paris is going to get on his ass hard about this on a walk and talk back on Voyager. He's sitting there. He's wringing his hands like he's finally hooked up. And to my knowledge, this is the first time he's actually which lo and behold, his girlfriend isn't mentioned once, which has been a big holdout for him traditionally. But, you know, he's finally hooked up and, and kind of given in and had something nice. Oh, my God, I violated so many Starfleet protocols and this and that. And his mind's clearly on the ship. And she's like, why don't you come back to bed? And he's just such a stick in the mud. And it's like, you're fucking killing me. And there's going to be a theme that follows this episode. Well, let's talk real quick. So finally, you figure out he's been fucking on the clock when both of them are supposed to be working on this engine project. Right. He scurries back off to engineering, says, OK, well, you come in later and they're right in the part where they're going to try and jumpstart this thing. It's Bolana, It's Paris. You know, why wouldn't the helmsman be involved? Because he is a Mary Sue and it's the captain. And then Harry kind of sneaks in just as this project's failing. Everybody's covered in grease. Tom knows what's up. Tom sees him come in. <laughs> Tom's a veteran of fucking on the clock. Like, yeah, maybe not on Voyager, but he's done his share of fucking on the clock. <laughs> to that point, I want to say, yes, Harry has taken moves because Harry will later abuse the transporter for nookie purposes. And that is classic Tom. Classic. Oh, that yes. shit with the Uh And then Tom sees her come wandering in like two seconds later. He's like, mm, uh oh. And when they get back over on the ship, Tom's like, Lays it on him hard and an excellent moment 
of self-referential acknowledgement. Tom's like, listen, man, you're always going after the unobtainable. Boom, hologram. Boom, ex-Borg. Boom, the wrong twin calling out the Delaney's. <laughs> and now it's xenophobe. It's this is why I think this episode fails only in the ability of its main actor in the hands of a more capable actor, not not a different character like Harry Kim is probably the right character for this sort of growth episode, because the idea is he is no longer the straight laced kid that came out of the academy. He's you know, he's he's learned a lot as a Starfleet officer, but also he's, you know, going through doing shit the young adults do and and growing wiser sometimes through fucking kind of doing the wrong thing, you know, breaking some rules, you know, like everyone eventually does it at some point in their life. That idea is fine. It's just Garrett Wang. Like he just can't bring the level of gravitas necessary to deliver on some of this dialogue. They, he is set up over and over and over again in this episode between his episode, his scenes with nineties hottie and then with Janeway. To and and I to a little more limited extent, seven of nine. Yes. To 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 deliver on these big character moments, he's given all the space and all the dialogue and all the opportunity he possibly can, and he just fucking can't do it. He just comes off like an unlikable weirdo. Uh, that yeah, whiner, you know, and not auth- authentically emotional like you can't find that 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 last gear to like demonstrate like that this is how he's actually feeling because the the point of this episode is that he's glowing because he he you know when he he swapped sperm with with uh the 90s hottie like they became like connected on a biochemical level and everyone assumes that his infatuation with this woman is based on that where he's like no it's actually not i I just love her and I I don't, you know, I want to be in love with her. Like, I like it. I'm not, my mind is not being controlled. My, my, my judgment is being altered because I want to do this thing and I know it's the wrong thing to do. Not because I'm being compelled to like by some fucking space, you know, mind control bullshit, which is cool, is a cool idea because it plays against all of the tropes that we're used to on this show over and over and over again, where he's like, no, I'm good. I just want to really fuck this girl. Right. You know, and he just can't fucking, he can't, he can't fucking do it. He just cannot deliver that shit. In one way, the show is extremely self-referential and that Tom calls him out on all this other shit. On the other hand, like I feel like sometimes the writers are too kind to the characters in their interactions. There's never any, and I don't want to say malice or ill will, but there's, it's rare to see ribbing or not even cruelty, but like, like cattiness. Sometimes Tuvok or Chakotay will throw some towards Neelix, but like, I think somewhere, especially between Chakotay and, uh, Janeway later on where they're discussing Kim and like Chakotay's like don't you think you're being a little hard on him like somewhere there could have been like we are talking about a guy who like super falls in love with holograms like yeah he's sick with this uh, bioelectrical connection but like this dude is a simp and he falls hard when he sees anything with a pair of eyes and two boobs like I, I feel like there was some deserved ribbing that should have came from the higher echelons. Biggest stumbling block in this episode. You know, we just came out of. Uh, what the hell is that Borg episode? Dark, dark, dark frontier. frontier, which completely fucks the Borg's timeline and, and, and retcons a ton of shit, essentially. Right. Then you get into this and you've got Harry Kim sitting there pining over, oh, I've broken so many protocols. And it's like, I figure that these were protocols that Janeway laid out. Like, I don't want you talking to these guys or we need to be whatever. Cool. No, he's talking about Starfleet protocols and there'll be a chastising he gets later on from Janeway directly where he quotes the fucking Starfleet protocol that before engaging in sexual relations with another race, you need an okay from the commanding officer and clearance from the chief medical officer. 
What the fuck? What? Two words for you, Joe. Two words. Do you know what they are? What are they? Thomas Riker. <laughs> William Thomas Riker. Also, James Kirk. Okay. Yeah. Th- these dudes who go out and crush vagina 24 <laughs> 7. Nonstop. William Riker literally, literally just, so just... much vagina. There wasn't enough of his dick to go around. They had to make two dicks to cover all of the <laughs> vagina. This guy's pounding. Okay. Yeah. The, he he he's just scattered his seed across the entire Alpha Quadrant. Little so much seed. Little he, baby he Rikers just everywhere, popping out of the atmosphere and getting left behind. Okay, that's that's how much dick he swings around. Okay, and you can go through. Tons of this stuff. You telling me that season one and two pre beard Riker, when we've got Playboy, I haven't grown up yet, William Riker, that he's getting a fucking hall pass from Jean Luc Picard at his most ball bustiest. Oh, yeah. Back season one, Jean Luc Picard definitely gave zero shits. He was not he Riker's was... BFF at all no he he was his boss and he was not cool <laughs> you know like it was it, yeah that was not happening it, i get uh, okay original billy series. billy Riker was putting that dick exactly where he wanted and he was not telling his boss about it so i mean he fucks so many people like pre first contact like the 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 trans like non-sexual binary person he fucked that you know that was like a first kind like it's crazy and and i get you could say all right well kirk it was the old starfleet wild west and bones was his homeboy and he was his own boss so why can't he get a wink wink nudge nudge to go stick it in someone green but like this is so revisionist crazy to me like if there's one thing you can say about the 24th century post scarcity federation it's it is a swinger society right and we've talked about it before so for this sexual prudishness that's reinforced by by punishable guidelines just is fucking absurd and and it's such an important part of the episode because it leads to his reprimand and why janeway's so disappointed blah 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 like man no fucking way get out of here and this is you know it's bewildering which makes sense because this is kind of this is probably Kenneth Bewilder's um, weakest entry. I think we've seen it's like it's not his worst, but uh, I think it's a letdown for the peaks and valleys that he's established. But it is bewildering that he would have something that's this far off the mark. So. Go ahead. The. <sighs> Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> so um, Tom gives it to him and says, listen, you're going after the wrong chick. You got to lay off. Big brother Tom, you know, does him a solid and, and as always tries to rein him in from whatever goony little heart throb he's going to have this week. And he's like, all right, you're right. I got her out of my mind. Walks into his corner and immediately calls her up on an encrypted subspace communication directly to her thing, which. Uh, it's been 22 minutes since I talked to you. It's very high school. Oh, it was very painful. And it's, it's hard to sit there and watch their foot. If you could think of one thing right now, what would it be like them dedicating a good two or three minutes to this dialogue of like, I miss you. I miss you. I'm thinking about you. If you could be here right now, would you? And it's so cringy and God awful to watch because we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because because we know because we did it. And we're like, now you're like, oh, I fucking I know I've done that. God, like I was doing that in sixth grade. But Carrie, you're 20. You're an adult. <laughs> like, dude, you're you went to college. You went to space You've died, college. dude. You're real. Yeah, you've been decompressed by the holodeck and reassembled by Q. I think like this is what you're doing with your fourth chance at life. Like, come on, dog. You're like a cat. You gotta, you gotta live, not, not this. So, and in, in, in possibly the most bro tier move that we've seen since the shoot, uh, the his his little his little uh, I miss you, I miss you, uh, space cell phone call gets uh, found out by Tuvok, 
by Detective and, Tuvok, the worst Tuvok. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, pro-criminal Tom Paris is like, oh, yeah, I'm going to totally detect that. And then cuts the transmission off so that Tuvok can't locate where it happened or what happened. Of course, Tuvok getting fucking completely buffaloed by, you know, casual convict Tom you know, is, is, is a me is just start of the meme of his incompetence in this episode. But he, I, I do love that. He's like his immediate thing to, is I am not going to do the right Starfleet thing. I, who was recently demoted, am going to cover <laughs> for him <laughs> by committing crimes myself. Cause not only am bros. I, not only am I a convict, but I am a slave to my own convictions. I am, I'm a Tom Vict for many reasons. So he sees it. He goes, oh, shit, that's Harry. I know exactly what's going on. Smudges the record on the bridge on the shift. And it's it's Tuvok and it's Chakotay. Like, we need to find out. And then Tom's like, I bet it was just subspace interference. And both those dumb motherfuckers look. Oh, Tom, I guess you're right. We're just going to drop it. Like Tuvok, who doesn't drop anything, (laughs) especially at the word of tom paris who he always doubts oh i like the idea that tom is just knows that these guys are so gullible now that he could just feed them any excuse right like he has got them wrapped around his convict finger so concretely that he just needs to shit out the a c-tier excuse and it's going to be good enough and he knows it's like he knows how bad tuvok is at his job it's an absurd scene. He sits there. He like makes us real exaggerated. Like, oh, God, that was a close one. Harry, you're in trouble. I love it. It works. It's great. And and we can say, yes, this portrays Tuvok in a really silly, absurd light. But it's truthful. Tuvok sucks at his job. He's going to suck at his job later. He's going to suck at his job before <laughs> this and after this. Like, He's going to have this an is... tell him that he sucks at his job. He's going to this... have Neelix do his job better than him. <laughs> yeah. You know, this might be a caricature moment, but it's it's truthful. Like. It it's great. Um, we get a lot of screen time over in the ladies quarters with her magic TV, which looks like a Samsung LCD flat panel from like 2012. Yeah, it does. And it was very reminiscent. It's hilarious to see them nail near technology near future technology so well like i mean they're all over there like it's her computer it's her comm device like she's really up in this and for something that just didn't exist at all then you know flat panel tvs it was wild to see them really nail the design of what will become the standardized lcd flat panel tv right down to the base too yes that's, that's <laughs> was, what sold that was one like, of the most I, exciting parts of the entire episode for me it's like wow that's a really good tv they predicted <laughs> Move over, iPad. There's a new wow factor. Tom covers for Harry and uh, there's a a meeting, I think, in one of the cargo bays. It's Seven's cargo bay because it's got the regeneration chambers, the one where she can just pull shit out of the wall and access the captain's logs. Yeah, the one where there's phaser rifles laying around. That's a really important cargo bay. No, she has only one. She's got her just seven of nine's uh, workplace shooting compression rifle specifically. Like this is compression rifle is when I'm going to shoot my friends and coworkers. This is this is mama's gun that's stored in there. Old fast Eddie. So uh, they he's like, yo, bro, um, I covered for you because, you know, we're bros and you you stabbed a man in prison for me, uh, but uh, you were about caught. So you should really make sure that you don't get caught next time because, uh, you know, I know how bad it'll be for you. I've been in prison recently on this ship. Um, the the Tom's unfortunate- like. Tom's like, um, you know, I I know that my recent actions of terrorism to blow up the underwater infrastructure of an entire planet, uh, which resulted in my demotion, might overshadow it. But I would like to point out to you that the most anybody has ever gotten in trouble on this ship prior to that was Balan and I for dry humping on a console. Like, Janeway does not like sex. You need to chill out. <laughs> not a fan. Don't don't get caught. Fortunately for him, he goes to Astrometrics with seven of nine and they have some awkward dialogue where 
of all the people to fucking ask Harry Kim's like, hey, seven of nine, you ever been in love? Like, fucking of course she hasn't. You've known her her entire actual human life. You've known her. You wouldn't be aware if she had been because it would have happened on the ship and it would have been weird for everybody. You were the one who was trying to fucking get hot and heavy with her. She offered to rip your clothes off once. Why are you asking her this question? You shit the bed. You squandered that, Harry. Yeah, yeah. I like anyway. that Seven wants that dirt. Like, he hints around, he's like, mm, whatever. And, like, you find out the power of gossip is stronger than than Borg party pooping as, like, she's like, what's this in regards? Like, she, y- you see it bubble through, and I, I enjoyed that little bit of something. She's not in the episode much, but that that little bit of curiosity clawing itself to the surface, I thought was a strong entry into her... Um, yeah, it was a good that her actual dialogue demonstrated her character growth from like if you look at season four, seven of nine versus like the more like the moments where she expresses concern for people in this episode. It's still it's done in a way that makes sense for the character that she is who she is, uh, but also she's definitely changed like and, and obviously we just watched an episode where that was extremely pre- uh, uh uh, in focus front and center. Uh, but it's more subtly demonstrated here. So Harry fronts for a little bit as they're mooping around astrometrics. And then when you know it, he has uh, the, the vapors get to him for a moment and yeah. he stumbles and close. And you know, when that stuff happens in star Trek, you never really know. Is this something that only I can see as an audience member because I'm getting like insight or is this, fucking person really glowing like a light bulb and in this case seven and nine's like uh hey what was that you just glowed and he's like no i think you missed off something she's like no your your skin just turned on and off like bioluminescence something is wrong with you you need to go to sick bay and harry's like no and she's like you must comply which again we haven't really seen seven pull rank but i, I think she just has that big dick energy to bully yeah, bridge she's officers. just like, we gotta tell her no. She's just gonna fucking grab you with her fucking Borg super strength and make you. So, yeah, like, unlike Tuvok, she doesn't have restraint in using her superpowers. So she hauls his ass off to sick bay, and we get a little exchange with a lot of hand wringing until Harry finally admits to the doctor, <gasps> we had sex. Like, what a big revelation. Thank God there isn't a deeper emotional conversation because earlier you talk about how Garrett goes up against seven. He goes up against his girlfriend. He goes up against the uh, Janeway and everybody really props the ball up and he, he can't get anywhere near the hoop to deliver. Thank God. They're not trying to, they're not trying to outact him in those scenes, but they still do. And thank God there's nothing heavy and emotional here between him and the doctor because him having to act up against the doctor it, with the performance he gives in this episode have been like watching Mike Tyson in the ring with a preschooler. <laughs> so at least the writer showed compassion there. Is we're already letting him get crushed by everybody else on the on the like even Tom is like more in tune with his character and and giving more effort like Robert Duncan McNeil is better in this episode than he is like everyone he shares scenes with shows him up like even this guest star the guest star is yeah. more charming and believable and and charismatic than he is like yeah so that for they spare him the 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 uh, it, is, it, 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 the, the, they spare him the fate of having uh, fucking Bobby Picardo take his balls off, too. I think it's a weak spot in Garrett Long that he has a hard time dealing with love on screen as a motivator, because when we look at Timeless, where he's dealing with guilt and self-loathing, he does a great job. You look at uh, what I think was the strongest entry into the uh, Harry Kim experience was um, Hunter's part one and two, where he leads the Federation resistance and sabotages the holodeck like ride or die. Kim was fucking awesome. And that, that was some real great intense emotional acting out of that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, you know, and there's been a couple others, but like you put him around girls and his shit falls apart, I think. And that could be it. Um, I, you know, you never know why some, sometimes you overperform. Um, sometimes it's finding that motivation that allows you to do so. Perhaps I do think that maybe his baseline is just not there. I don't, I, I think some specific episodes, you know, it's like when you can really see the ball when you're a baseball player, you go five for five that day. And he's just doesn't usually get into that zone. So then this is a perfect example of it. And the fact that a lot of these episodes have involved a romantic element, there could be linkage there. I don't know. It will be interesting to hear him talk about it once they get to the first one of those. Like when they have Harry Kim's big day out, the episode to see if like mm, non sequitur, my old foe to see if he talks about uh, like finding motivation and romance. And if that is something he struggles with, it'd be interesting to know. Um, so that we, we've already talked to each other now for the, the doctor hour rats and a half. So let's, let's, let's turbocharge the rest of our discussion. You mentioned Dr. Rats. I'm out the, uh, yeah. the captain, you know, again, I, I want to read it again. You need okay from your commanding officer and clearance from the chief medical officer before you fucking alien. Since when i cannot that is the weakest <laughs> shit for season five okay since did they have so, to make this rule because they had too many child support payments they had to make on the behalf of R- william Riker? is this a ridiculous. new thing you we know, jump like, into yeah we jump into what's arguably a b plot and that is uh neelix ambushing Tuvok and saying, hey, listen, uh, yet again, people stealing out of the fucking pantry. We haven't talked about that since the multiple personality disorder episode. But hey, I got people in there and look at my findings. And Tuvok once again, just fucking smugly dismissing him. And it's like. You guys are supposed to be bros on a certain level, even even if we discount Tuvik's post rise. You know, the elevator episode, there should be some level of professionalism there. And instead, Tuvok writes him off until he remembers he's forcefully reminded that Detective Neelix is infinitely better than Detective Tuvok. The The alligator wants to eat Detective Neelix because it is greater than Detective Tuvok. Someone was fucking around with the replicator in the mess hall. Not only were they fucking around stealing protein bars, but also impacting the environmental controls in some Jeffrey's tubes, wouldn't you know it? There's a stowaway there and we get introduced to this B plot that things are not all nice and beautiful on the generational ship. There's a large contingent of people who feel that they are imprisoned and they want to escape. And there's this bullshit resistance. The uh, 90s hottie is part of that resistance. And we find that out because despite being told by Janeway and and I, to Camel Grew's credit, I think all her dialogue and all her end of her scenes are great. Like she plays the disappointed commander very well. You know, she's stern. She ex- expresses why, like the consequences of Harry's actions are such right. Like, listen, you deciding to play grab ass with this lady has actually cost the ship something. You know, we're trying to establish connection with these people. And oh, by the way, we're kind of hoping they would help us out with their technology. And you fucked that up because you wanted to fuck the hot chick. Good job, buddy. Like all of that works well for me. Obviously, Harry disregards the order to break up with her and decides to, for some reason, uh, hijack a shuttle and beam her on to create his own little private F shack. Like you said, maybe you learned it from Tom. But uh, apparently uh, not enough of the shuttlecraft have blown up and Tuvok finally uh, does his job for once. (laughs) Pull over. (laughs) Detective Tuvok is on the case. After Neelix did his job better than him, he he decided to like pay attention and he noticed that one of his uh, death carts was missing. And I can't let Tuvok slide on this man when they pull the fucking stowaway off and it's. It's Chakotay and it's Tuvok interrogating him in the briefing room. Oh, and God, like, it's so good. How did you get on the ship? And the dude looks at Tuvok and he says, and I quote, your tech is easy to circumvent. Your locks are bullshit. I can go into the Borg's <laughs> alcove. The lady, the mass shooter who shoots the joint up every other episode, make a pull a fucking chip and read the captain's log like your work is sloppy. You're terrible. 
I mean, um, it, it, I'm just glad that the episode could really be a tour de force to emphasize that. There's another really good got point. Harry Kim's bullshit dialogue and when he's like in his F shack with his girlfriend of like, oh, boy, I don't want it to be Tuvok. He he's he gets all persnickety if there's even an electron out of place like bullshit. He was actually physically saying to, to Neelix, I don't care if people are stealing food. I don't. There's one I thing don't you can give count a shit. on. There's one thing you can count on that Tuvok motherfucker. It's he loves to cock block me. He stole a hologram from me once on the Polynesian resort and I'll never forgive him. I also want to point out the dude during the um, interrogation who calls Tuvok terrible. Chakotay is like, I want to know more about the resistance. And he's like, no, I won't talk to you. And then Tuvok's like, all right, we'll take him to the brig. And then he's like, I will help you. Just tell me what I want to know. And the guy's like sitting tight lipped and he's like, take him to the brig. And the guy's like, or no, take him back and give him to, you know, dumb and dumber. And he's like, you can tell him that there's hundreds of us. And I'm like, wait, did you just fold? Did you just act like I want to jump back to one of our previous Hall of Fames, which is the the cave confession, which yes. we really opened up back in the shoot where uh, Janeway had the, the children she was going to send off to prison until uh <laughs> She found out the real. Hey, depths. I, I understand your totalitarian, totalitarian government will probably fucking kill you if I turn you over. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, do I'll never you tell you anything. Wait, okay, here's everything. And it's like, so you weren't going to negotiate for like profit, but now you're already getting set up the river. And I'm like, there's hundreds of us. Viva la resistance. Like, okay, Kenneth Biller, whatever, dude. Uh, and then the scene two before Harry goes like full. Uh, shuttlecraft abduction moment and it's not abduction it's it's a it's a consensual transportation but uh janeway gives him like a formal reprimand which we're led to believe fucking matters even though it doesn't because it's a ship out in the middle of the delta quadrant nobody's going anywhere everybody disobeys janeway all the time no fucks given but Chakotay is like, listen, uh, maybe you went too heavy on this and are did he do something bad or did he just disappoint you? And then Janeway has a fucking audacity to go back and say. He hasn't earned the right to question my orders like. Hold what? on, you can, yeah. can say a lot of shit about Harry Kim, but. How many times has he saved the fucking ship now, including dying once in the cold grip of space in Deathlock? And also and, pretty. F- and recently this season, you found out he bent space and time to save your life, that he was so ruined by the idea that he could possibly be responsible for the death of everyone on Voyager. He's like, ah, oh, I have to devote every waking moment to breaking the temporal prime directive to undo my mistake to the point, you know, where I will unwrite reality to do so. You know, this dude has and then uh, let me jump back into uh, the hunted or hunt hunter, whatever the uh, the the Nazi, not Harkonnen. What are those guys called? What are the predators called? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I you know I the, forget the Nazi name. similar I've... again, where where it's Harry Kim who disrupts, you know, at great risk to himself fucking sabotages the entire holodeck so the federation can break their matrix mind spell and get out like this dude has carried the ship on his back numerous times ensign jokes aside that he never gets promoted like have the fucking audacity to say he hasn't earned the right to question my orders fuck off tubak <laughs> tubak your bet your bff fucking ganked skevian technology along with seska the obsidian order agent and he got a slap on the wrist behind closed doors. And you're giving this dude a fucking write up because he's getting his dick wet. Like, I wish Riker would have just walked out of a closet and fucking choked her. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's also I'm a really good. I'm sorry. It's just. I just have that vision of like he's in the middle of she's in the middle of like dressing him down over having sex with this lady and then just out of a closet with a steel chair like John Cena comes Will Riker no. straight burgundy episodes like 
he comes <laughs> out doing the Riker like leaning forward, determined walk. No, like, that's he's gonna it. He walk. puts the chair down, then he t- and he sits in it, like does oh. the Riker maneuver. Yeah, and kicks her in the head in the process. That's what <laughs> she's dressing him down. He comes in, sets a chair down. Riker maneuvers over the chair, kicks her in the head, knocks her, and says, "Now listen, son." <laughs> Your problem is you didn't have enough peanut butter involved in the sexual act. You're going to learn from <laughs> your first problem is you didn't have a beard. Your second problem was not enough peanut butter. I'm going to teach you this move. It's called the Rusty Trombone. They're going to love it. Um, there's a walk and talk where uh, Dumb and Dumber, a.k.a. Rocket, is giving uh, Janeway some shit. Oh, you guys have disrespected our ways and, you know, uh, this Harry Kim seducing my people and the problems you're making. And Jane was like, well, what have you done to punish it? And he's like, well, you know, she's going to be heartbroken forever. Uh, you know, your officers make a habit of seducing everybody. You know, I have a feeling that this Ensign Kim has left behind a trail of broken hearts. And it's like, mm, actually, it's more like <laughs> a trail of broken skulls. This guy's kind of a psycho that like usually attacks girls that want to do them. So I think you should probably count yourself lucky here, bub. How <laughs> uh, about that? Not yeah. quite. <laughs> Just be happy. He didn't wrap her up in a chair and bust her over the head with a real heavy Voss. Like that was a real problem on space cougar planet. Just, yeah, we took a while for us to clean that up. You know, I'm just saying. So they wrap saying, up I'm the rest saying. of the episode kind of rushed. We find out that there's micro fractures in the hull that have been thwarting the engine restarting process, that that has spread to Voyager, that the hull micro fractures are the cause of um, a, a artificial parasite that was specifically introduced by the resistance to break up the superstructure of the generational ship in an effort to free all of the pods so people can have their own control over destiny whatever who cares voyager hangs on in there during the moment of need and keeps their hull integrity and shows dumb and dumber that hey not all aliens are bad and you got to let the people go and grow and listen to me because i'm 90s hot and he's like okay fine and then the ship blows up and there's a bunch of other little pod ships which immediately ignite their thrusters and just fly off like a beautiful coordinated multi-stage rocket launch to the moon. I will say that the, the episode has one more good scene where at least for Janeway side, it shines where they do a tracking shot from the briefing room into the ready room, which I think the first time they've ever done very that. Like good. A, single, a, a single shot tracking shot, which was neat. It was very noticeable. And, you know, Janeway's like trying really hard to let, um, ends and Kim off the hook and, and he won't take it. And, you know, she tries to talk him through how she's feeling. And of course he just sounds whiny and entitled and can't quite like get into a dramatic mode, but not so for Janeway. Janeway's trying to carry that scene despite herself. And then I think even more so at the end when they all part ways and he's dealing with the physiological you know, pot, uh, issues that came from the the alien bonding uh, that she comes to sickbay and sits down next to him and has a really heartfelt speech where she's like, you know, I I feel differently about you than everyone else in the ship. And that's not that I don't care about everyone else. It's that I f- what she what she says without saying is I got you stuck out of the Delta Quadrant on your first space mission and I feel protective of you in a very motherly way. And I would, I have been pissed if someone else had done this. Yes, but I wouldn't have been surprised and really like she wouldn't have been disappointed. And, and she kind of comes around to understanding that he was, you know, growing up, you know, in young adulthood as we all do and doing some shit. I've never gotten that feeling. Again, I think the actor, the people versus Star Trek Forge is right. This guy should have been cast as a 17 or an 18 year old getting a full adult man. Like you do not get that at any point in Voyager that Harry Kim is young or inexperienced. And I think that really plays it. He plays it too, too confidently. He he comes off like Burt Ward Robin, not as like a a guy who's fresh out of high school. And yeah, it, it really highlights the, the deficits that Garrett's bringing into this. Um, his shtick through the rest of the episode is that there is a 
there is a biological component to the suffering. He's the heartbreak he's going through and the doctor can cure him of it. But no, he wants to ride it out. Harry Kim's either a sadist or a fucking borderline who wants to call as much attention to his suffering as possible. It gets super eye rolly. Um, you've reminded me that like season five is an episode of everybody's life is shitty and brand Branagh is going to bring suffering to everyone. And also everybody gets to take a turn blowing up on Janeway. Uh, Paris tells her off. Uh, Kim tells her off hard in this one. Um, Neelix tells her off in once upon a time. Uh, and I feel like there's a couple other ones that, you know, aren't jumping out at me right now, but like just she gets shit on left and right and just folds like a house of cards relentlessly. There's a wrap up scene at the end where, you know, Kim's sitting there moping. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was just needlessly uh, in, in the mess hall. And, you know, seven comes in because we need to get more Jerry. Ryan oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the second one. I forgot. <laughs> yes. The and other one that felt very unnecessary. <laughs> the miss here is you have a guy who has thought that he has fallen in love and has had been heartbroken. And it feels like a part of him has been ripped out. And he is looking for someone to confide in and find solace. And there you have got Neelix. In the empty mess hall, Neelix, who was madly in love with his child bride, Kess, who dumped him, who had this fucking this this massive relationship that was a defining trait of his character, swept under the rug and completely fucking botched and handled, who doesn't have any sort of closure until she's saying goodbye. I'm going to go be a super saiyan off in fucking hyperspace or whatever. And instead of him being like, hey. How did you ever get over Kess? How did you deal with that loss? He's just like, well, I left some soup in the kitchen for you because it's soup and I'll see you later. Cha, cha, cha. <laughs> yeah, he really like that's the second time I think we've brought up like this should have been Neelix. Why wasn't it? You know, I'm a Neelix fanboy. I think like he was such a rat shit character starting off with. And I Ethan Phillips is really turned him into something great and it's just miss after miss after miss and in this case it's we want to have seven of nine on screen for whatever goddamn reason instead of someone who could have made a genuine connection and really paired well with the scene like and he was already there like fuck you Get, do something with this character it's a good it could be a good character but maybe they just didn't want ethan you know phillips to have to fucking clown garrett they, again like <laughs> <laughs> you're not going to bring out Iron Mike. You're not going to bring out a Vander Holyfield because you know just they're they're trying to go easy on him at this point. Put put sex robot out there and we'll we'll make do. <sighs> Exhausting. Right. Exhausting. Fuck I, that I'm, I'm I'm exhausted as well. Uh, I'm exhausted with with humor. I just like the idea of Will Riker as this figure of such sexual potency that they had to make regulations where you need a fucking signed permission slip. Weak as shit. Officer. I thought I was mad about the troll. I'm mad about this. Ridiculous, Joe. All right. So you're saying it's going to be season five, episode 18. Netflix. I don't want you to sh- hold on. Hold on. Don't read it. Don't read it. Close that. I closed it, Joe. Oh, good for you. I, I want you to close it because this is actually me trying to protect you. Our next episode, I don't want you to be spoiled about whatsoever. I just want you to watch it. It's called Course Oblivion. This is for Voyager fans. We'll know exactly which one this one is. The very generic uh, description is as Voyager crew members begin dying, they make a startling discovery. That's all. I think I know what it's going to be. Damn it. Why did you Damn it. why did you read that? You told me not to read it. Why would you tell me to read it? Why would you tell me not to read it? And then you, you read it because I, I wanted to just I didn't know if it was going to go into too much detail in the Netflix description. And I'm like, well, this sentence is very generic. That's on memory alpha. I have a feeling can, this is going to be a throwback to an earlier season five entry. We're going to we're going to find out. I just found out. I and no means yes. All right, man. Uh, yeah, that's this is 
This was a rough one. This uh... <laughs> I didn't hate it. Like I I know you hated it, but I feel I didn't like... hate it. It was just a lot. It, it it was a good podcast one. You know, it wasn't a waste yeah. of time. This oh is... no, it was. It, it it was. It was fun to talk about, but like. I didn't hate this the same way I hate some of the real stinkers. I haven't hated an episode of this of this show in that way in a long time. And like even this being such a clear miss on what they were trying to accomplish, it's still like the F, the effect shot of the ship was good. Uh, all of the acting aside from Garrett Wake's acting was great. Um, you know that they Hottie was Hottie. Hottie, Hottie was Hottie. Like Tuvok got clowned a lot. Did you see the yeah. Dumb and Dumber guy? Like had his throat slit. Yeah, that apparently was a, it was suicide. That was how I don't know who Charles Rocket died. Yeah, I, I, I we need Detective Tuvok on that one. Slit <laughs> <laughs> throat's not really a. You know what? Let's let's do him right. Let's get Detective Deluxe on. I need. Really there answers. you go. Yeah, you'll find who's responsible and throw him into space hell. So. I mean, Ooh. we know that's probably more effective. Judge Neelix. <laughs> and speaking of effectiveness, I am the law. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>